Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to Episode 9, recorded on December 10th, 2020. I'm Elwin Cross, along with Locomobi World founder and CEO Grant Furlane. Our guest this week is Elliot Combe, the Chief Operating Officer of Cubic, an international company that creates 3D experiential marketing programs for a vast array of clients and is deeply involved in the operations of trade shows throughout North America. First, though, here's Grant with his collection of tech news. All right, Grant, what's making news in the world of connected communities and smart cities or technology in general? Yeah, um, we should get feedback and, and talk a bit about all the different things from, from macro to minor. So let's talk about the first big study that just came out. 68% of all humankind live in cities by 2050. Okay, compare that to where we were, let's say, in 1900, which would have been flipped, right? But I don't have that. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm telling you, as, 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 a, as a fan of history, I can tell you that it's completely flipped. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and the reason I bring that up is that will mean smart city plays the biggest role. There's no doubt about it, because you're going to have to make the cities socially acceptable, comfortable, good way of living. Like we had another guest we had on these shows talking about smart communities. But probably bigger, a couple of things that are important that they figure that the amount of investment in smart cities will go from 410 million now to over 800 million by 2025. Not surprised. I mean, you look in the real estate sections of the Globe and Mail and the National Post and a few other places, and you see all these new developments that are coming, and they are all highly, highly integrated. Hold on. But here's the issue. And I wanted to get to this. 70% of the spend is in just a few cities. Yes. Big problem. Yes. And, and, and so, for example, we know Singapore. Mm-hmm. It leads the it, it does. It Sh- leads the world. Shanghai. Um, you've got London, Tokyo, New York, mm-hmm. um, and the reigning areas. Um, so, you know, Toronto's not even on the list. And we know they're- We're not? Not really. Um, no, I know. Sorry, buddy. But um, I, we are growing fast. But the spend by our government is not there. Okay, we're talking about major spends. You can't do infrastructure without government playing a big part of it. And I think you're seeing it now. But the problem is all the spends is very concentrated on these major cities. And it has to go everywhere. So I think the big thing I'm seeing, if it's going to double to $800 billion, that's major. And so there's a race. I think there's a race, and I think that uh, Japan is an obvious place because of Tokyo. Um, a lot of the, the spend is done on cities that have no choice. Think of it. London, New York, Tokyo, Singapore, Shanghai. They had to, but that has to go from had to to have to. Right. Now, I, I spend an awful lot of time in Singapore. I know that they're, they're working with uh, autonomous taxis. I know that they're working with... Um, well, they had their own internet standard for a while. Uh, the whole island, the whole nation is is like super fast broadband. Okay, there you go. You said something real important. 5G. Yeah. So part of that is going to be the internet of things, our IoT. Okay, so that's the big spend. 
For us all to do everything we want to do, we better have that infrastructure. And we don't. We know we don't. Here. Singapore does, by the way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a small, it's, Singapore is the ent- entire nation, the size of, size of the GTA. I know, but still a good, well, so what? That's perfect then. Well, it's perfect yeah. size. Of, but think of one more thing with the 5G and all that. So what's going to stop that? Guys, it's exactly the same as everything else. Regulations. So where does government come in place? Regulations. How soon can they regulate and allow these great ideas to happen here as they have in other places? I don't care if it's, you know, taxis to uh, to flying um, taxis. Oh, I was looking at something. Hyundai had a uh, in Dubai just this past week. This is we're doing this in December. Uh, they they just they had a flying taxi. I know. I told you. Oh, come on. Yeah. Man. No. 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 But they, they, on, it was Hyundai that actually yeah. put it on oh, display. Oh yeah, yeah. They're coming. And of course, you guys heard Uber sold its its division, its taxi flying taxi division. And are going to focus more on what they do too. And that's, that's a smart move, but it's there. And so anyhow, um, if the spend is going to double in four years, that tells you the rapid pace we're facing. And think of the cities do not adapt that quick. That's my concern. They're going to become technological ghettos. They have no, yeah, you got it. Okay. Okay. What else? Well, um, you know, my favorite stuff is quantum. And you probably know that the Chinese have just announced a major achievement. Uh, Shushan, and uh, if I say it wrong, I don't care. Um, everyone knows what it is. It is the fastest quantum computer in the world. And how big is it? There's a big difference. It is based on photons versus right now we're based on fiber. And so, so if you don't understand, um, we use what we call bits. And bits of information are hard-coded bits. And when you want to do something different, you change those bits, right? You write new algorithms. And in quantum, we use qubits. And qubits is basically, they're not one equals one equals two. It's they go out and using all kinds of scientific and non-scientific matter, they can make decisions much quicker. That is all done. Simultaneously. Right. Well, that's what quantum. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So in a computer... It's super fast now. That's great. But guess what? Right now, the way it works, super fast, and I mean, I mean very fast, um, what you've got is you have um, companies now that are claiming the, that they can do anything on a quantum computer, which, by the way, is not out yet. So why is a quantum good? Because of what you said, it can, the computer at the network can go crazy with all the information so fast, it can compute and find things that would take 100 years normally. Well, there were a couple of things recently. There's the Chinese computer, which solved a problem in 200 seconds that would have taken something like 200 years. Is that you, got it. Okay. you got it. Okay, so think of that. The supercomputer is what, you know, as you know, the, the record was Google or Alphabet. They and came out with- Deep Mind or whatever it is. You got it. Very good. Very good. But remember- they use superconductive. So they're using connectivity. Silicon. Okay, so now change that to photons. There was another computer story that involved um, doing simulations of folding proteins. Yep, that's the same idea, but this is, this is okay, so, so folding proteins is, a, is another photon. In other words, these are all methods that are used Okay, so so let's look at, but let's go make it simple for everyone so they can go read on their own because the science is very intricate. I have a computer 
and it's super fast. It is a quantum computer and it can do something a hundred years faster. Now, what if I could add to that communication via light, via any type of non-weight physical application, magnetic field, whatever, light being the best. So now we have a photon that when I ask for the information, it can come in a hundred different ways because as you remember, supercomputer can handle multiple circuits. So now I have all this information coming in, not in milliseconds, but in light years. Or no, be uh, nanoseconds. You wouldn't even know. It would be faster than that. And okay. You wouldn't even know. So now, um, let's say you just said, for example, a hundred years to do something. Now let's say it's a day. I want to cure cancer. And well, this, this, this is <laughs> three the, days. This is where the folding proteins thing come in, Absolutely. because that is something that affects Alzheimer's. That that's the, you know the misfolded proteins create uh, these 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 plaques in the brain, which creates. Uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. And with Correct. an aging population, the company that gets to a cure for this sort of brain disease is going to be a multi-trillion dollar company. Correct. Correct. So to give you back, a task that takes 200 seconds now on their computer um, would take roughly 600 million years. See? <laughs> okay, hold on. And so, so Alphabet claimed they had a 53-bit cubic computer. Which they do. That's the record. And that's a big breakthrough. But what's, what's interesting about Qubit? What do you have coming to the computer? One line. Only one line, Alan. So what did, what is the, what is the, uh, Zhejiang have? 76 photons at once versus one. 76 come in at once instead of one that was the record by alphabet. Because it's still using conductivity. It's so, not using photons. Right. So that doesn't mean 76 times faster. That's an exponential. Oh, oh no. It's like 100 million trillion times. Times faster. Yeah. Okay. I just, I don't want to, let's, let's make this simpler. To the average person, your computer will be faster. <laughs> yeah. Very okay. fast. Okay. But hold on. That's it. No, no. But after a while, it won't matter. But countries, companies. There will be a satellite that they're launching in China that's going to be the first quantum photon satellite that'll travel in light years and have firewalls. But my point is, that's what's going to be. So it will change the world as we see today. Why is it an application? Why is it an application? Because it's going to be like the nuclear bomb. What stops someone pushing that button? Fear. So you got to create the same fear agreements with all the countries that no one ever launches a quantum attack. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> there's no way to encrypt against that. And uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, you're okay. Bye bye. <laughs> okay. Um, last thing is we want to talk about um, green energy, uh, sustainability. And the biggest thing was if you don't know, Copenhill has built a power plant uh, that is three different things. The power plant is tall. And so it houses all the things to do in the power plant. There's a ski hill on the power plant and it's built with green grass that replicates snow. So it's a ski hill and a power plant, but here's the best part. In the power plant from all the energy and from other things, because it has a climbing wall, the tallest climbing wall in the world, Okay, and with all that stuff, it is going to, because of all that, it's going to re-energize or recirculate 440,000 tons of waste of energy every year. 
And where is this power plant? Copenhagen. And it, it's, ask me guys, it's the biggest thing we can talk about. So they're building these power plants that are going to be used reusable energy, garbage, and all the other stuff. And also provides on the outside a ski mountain. Okay, guys, think of this. This is where we're going. I think it's pretty cool. So it's a, they want to be Newton Carbon by 2050, the whole all of Copenhagen. And this is their first big step. Elliot Cohn, or Elliot K on his LinkedIn profile, is the chief operating officer and principal at Cubic, a company that is very, very big in the world of trade shows. If you've been to one of these events, and really who hasn't, and no matter what the industry, there is a very good chance that Cubic has been behind it. 2020 was a weird year for trade shows, and Cubic has had to adapt. Elliot spoke to us from Mississauga. Well, hi, Elliot. Thanks for being here. I, I This is really... Um I guess an appropriate time to ask this question because I'm getting all kinds of email from various trade shows that I would normally go to in 2021, like CES. And there's a place in Singapore that I go and a couple of others. They're all virtual this year. So let's, let's talk about COVID-19 and how it's affected the trade show industry, how it's affected presentations, how it's effective, affected experiential marketing and advertising budgets and so on. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been an interesting year to say the least. Um, you know, as we started off, I think our, our our industry came to a grinding halt around March 10th last year. We were on the floor doing a major major exhibit for Phillips down um, in, in Orlando, and seventy uh, percent into our installation, we got word that the show was canceled. They had tried a few days beforehand to try to keep the show going. They had announced that Trump was going to be the guest opening speaker. Um, didn't work, and the show ended up canceling two days later and came to a grinding halt. So, I mean, from an industry perspective, if you look at, uh, imagine being your favorite sports car, putting it up to about 180 miles an hour and looking at a brick wall in front of you. In there. sorry i mean honestly that's what this industry has been like um for the first several months everyone was holding out some hope shows were being canceled shows were being canceled and and then people started to shift their mindsets and um and that's where this whole virtual concept started to develop Uh, people saw this isn't going away in two weeks or three weeks um we really have to come up with some ideas and, and I hate to use the term pivot because everybody's using the term pivot, but um, opportunities started developing. I mean, uh, <clears throat> from a pure uh, show perspective, so the, the individuals who are putting on the actual shows, they had to look at something and they've all started to develop virtual type shows. How quickly though, like Elliot, you got the word, you're at this big show, it's over. Uh-oh, how quickly did everyone say, we got to do something. We got to we got to get something going now. So we knew we knew we were running it. I mean, we were watching what we had going on for the next six eight weeks, and we were trying to get it because they weren't all canceling. They were all you know um, this first show canceled, um, which was Hims, which is a major medical show, um, one of the largest in the world, and it canceled. And then we had about. 12, 15 shows between middle of March and end of April. RFY ends the, uh, is end of April. And we were watching, and slowly, one by one, started to cancel. And 
Um, you know, people said, no, no, we, we're going to do our show in May. And then by April 10th, that started to cancel. So it was, it was no one pulled the plug right away. It was an ongoing. Is this going to last? Is this going to cut? You know, it's no different than what happened in Ontario where they sat there and said, you know, um, after Chris, after um, Easter break, we're going to have a little quarantine and then we'll be fine after that. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. So I'd say by early May, the whole virtual mindset really started to take hold and organizations were starting to look at how, can, how they can do this and what they can do. And then, you know, first step was how do we virtually bring people back to the office or what's the office going to look like when you come back to the office? Um, and then there was the whole trade show aspect and, you know, what are we doing from a show end? The virtual show is okay, but it's not, um, it's not a long-term solution. I mean, the experiential marketing industry is a face-to-face business. I mean, let's be, people want to go to these shows. Alan, you said you go to a couple of shows. You know what it's like on the floor at CES on opening day. Oh, yeah. It's you want zoo. to talk to people. You want to touch the stuff. I mean, you're walking around shoulder to shoulder with people. You want to look. You want to see. You want to hear. It's 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 an absolute zoo. It's great. It's great buzz. And no matter how you do it virtually, you're not going to get there. You know. So from my organizational aspect, my company's perspective, what we've you know what we've looked at is we've said, okay, we have a virtual platform. We've pushed it out to a few clients. We've done a couple of things, which I'll mention in a little bit. But the main mindset has always been virtual is here right now, and we got to do something because you talk about advertising budgets, you talk about presentations. Clients still need to sell their products. At the end of the day, they still got to push their products out there. They still got to advertise for their products. They still got to get their name out there. They got to show their new and they haven't stopped producing. You know, an organization like Samsung is still selling phones, um, and they got new phones coming up back to back to back. So they still have to get it out there. But how do you do it in an effective manner right now? I have a friend that works uh, in, in the agency business, and one of her big clients is uh, in the automotive field. And they spend an entire year planning what they're going to do for their uh, Toronto International Auto Show display. And now they're just kind of looking at each other. Well, you know, how can we showcase the new vehicles and let people touch them and sit in them and all the rest? It's just not the same. Al, it's funny you go there because... We have a Toronto International Auto Show. We uh, Canadian Auto Show Circuit. We have nine clients on the floor, so we handle nine clients for that show circuit. So basically, um, what we just launched last week, which uh, for Nissan was over at Yorkdale, where you took over the old Microsoft store at Yorkdale, transformed that into a retail type gallery. But we also have a virtual aspect to it, so you can call in. You go to if you go to NissanStudio.ca. And you log in, you leave your phone number, they call you back, and an attendant will then give you a full virtual tour of a vehicle. And it's actually pretty cool. So we're doing that right now. And oh, it's open? Yeah, it's if, you, if you go to NissanStudio.ca. So Yorkdale, oh, so- we can't take you into – originally they were going to go – they took Yorkdale because you were going to go into the store, but three days before we opened is when they locked down Yorkdale. Another another brick wall. (laughs) But what I love, Elliot, Elliot, but but here's what I'm talking about. People have budgets. Okay, so I've got my advertising budget and I'm going to do Yorkdale. Right. And then three days later, Ford says, shut it down. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So now what we're doing, so Yorkdale is going to last till I think first week of January. Um, The Yorkdale aspect, unfortunately, 
didn't fly because they shut it down. We're still doing the virtual meetings out of there. And then they're going to come in here. Uh, we've cleared out our warehouse. And we're going to do a virtual um, studio out of our warehouse where you'll have one-on-one -on -one interactions with, you know, if you're looking to buy a car. And listen, most people in that uh, 50 to 60 demographic will not want to buy a car online. The younger individuals, 20s, 30s, 40s, don't, won't have an issue with that. And they are coming on. They are getting full tours of the vehicle. They're getting a full experience. And it's a one-on-one -on -one experience, uh, which is really cool. So Nissan's doing it both one-on-one -on -one and a group. So you can join in as a group call or you can join in as a one-on-one -on -one call. And it's working quite well. So we've done that for a bunch of clients. We've done some virtual trade show displays for uh, exhibits for clients. We've done... Um, a couple of corporate meetings right now, virtual corporate meetings where you can't bring your whole, you know, sales force together. We've done some of that. So the budgets are still there because they haven't really lost their budget. They've been slashed to a certain extent or cut to a certain extent, but they haven't lost their budgets because they still have to advertise. They still have to go out there. We have to try and give them a median that they can go out there and do it effectively. Um, and it's all new for everybody right now. It's all, everyone's learning in this whole fiasco that's going on. All right. So you have contacts at all your various clients. Mm -hmm. They have to sell this up to their bosses. Yep. How are you helping them do that? We are taking it up to almost a C-suite level is where, and then they're just walking into a CEO. And, and, and so when they go to that CEO, um, isn't that CEO going to say, well, okay, if I do this, what's going to be the return? How many people are coming on to these trade shows? Like, so, you know, Elliot, I've attended a couple uh, online, and they've been honestly terrible. I agree with you completely. Absolutely terrible. It's it's not even, I, I just don't see it. And and I see everyone doing it. Um, now, they're doing it because they got to do something. Right. Um, they're not doing it for free. But I would never pay myself to go on a virtual trade show the same price I'd pay for a regular trade show. I, I, but, I, I I'll, you know, I'll agree with you from the aspect of, what too many people are trying to do in their virtual platforms is replicate the physical space you will get at a trade show. Ah, uh, okay. Right? So, I mean, I, I, I logged on on one where you had the escalator going down, you walked into the lobby of the convention center, um, and then you went to the right and you walked in the convention and you could see it. But I don't, it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to, to be that realistic. It needs to be an environment where a client, if you invite, when, if you invite one of your top clients to come to your virtual show, you can you can do demos and you can show them the full interaction of your products and how your products work and go one on one with questions. And that's how we've looked at our platform versus actually trying to simulate an actual show environment. We want to have our full product line there and, and invite our clients in one on one and have them go through it. It's more of a a selling experience and an actual virtual trade show. We're calling them virtual trade shows because that's, in essence, what they are to They're a certain extent. But it's a different mindset to that. We're looking at ours as being an augmented piece to a physical show when they come back. What platform do you use? Is it is it proprietary? Do you use off-the-shelf stuff? What? We're using an off-the-shelf platform um, and, and doing a lot of customization to it. Is this a platform that everybody's using? Um, is there a lot of platforms out there? Because... You know, when stuff like this happens, all of a sudden new companies uh, surface. Right. So I, I would say, um, I'm not 100% sure, but I think we've seen probably around 
seven or eight or nine different platforms at this point. Some more effective. We've chosen one that allows us to do a lot of modif- modification to it and it gives us just a basic platform. We have in-house tech and our in-house tech develops the whole uh, skin to it and everything else along that line. All it's giving us is the basic overall platform to it. Yeah, some of these platforms have like a reception room and then different rooms that you can go into and then private meeting rooms that you can skip into. Is it, is it like that? I believe it is. Um, I've seen I've seen a couple of demos on it. It'll have that if you want to utilize those features, but we don't have to, we don't necessarily have to utilize those features. All right, let's look at long term. Uh, people may or may not get used to virtual trade shows and presentations. What do you think the long term future is? For these things. Well, assume something here before you finish that question, Alan. Assume this. Um, and, and we don't have to, but let's assume this and then have the answer. We assume that a lot of businesses are going to stay with workers working from home. We assume there will be facilities in these new developments, which they are. They're, they're facilities where people grew, grew, come down, like a condos are having them now. And there are places where they all sit and converge. Uh, and they, the younger crowd, just like you said, who um, are buying the cars, are going to be the ones, you know, the next generation that are going to be in the digital world. And they are going to not change. Um, they are going to say, no, I'm not going there when I can do this. Uh, how do we handle that? Because I think part of that change, even to the point um, of augmented reality, um, you know, these kind of people are going to look at that. All right. Well, let me throw this back at you. Let me throw it back at everybody. Um, what do you do with cities like Las Vegas and New Orleans and New York and, and Toronto that make a lot of money attracting big conventions? You know, aren't they going to, you know, create all kinds of incentives for the real world trade shows to return? That, and that's where I was going to go, Al. So, Grant, I, I hear what you're saying uh, with the uh, millenniums and their comfort level with the whole technology-based presentations, everything else along that line. But we are people, and people like to be face-to-face. And if you're looking at some someone who's 28, 30 years old, and they have the opportunity to go to Vegas for three days, to go to a trade show floor, and get off that floor at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, go hit a casino, or go hit a show, or go who do whatever, and, and actually interact with people and have some fun, that's not going to go away. And that people want to do that. And if you're doing that on someone else's, I hate to say it, but if you're doing that on somebody else's ticket, and on someone else's price, you know, why not? And, and well, yeah, I, good point. Good yeah, point. because when I, when I go to my conferences, you know, I'll be on the floor, like you said, till about 4 o'clock, and then it's after that, it's like party time! Exactly. I mean... You know, Some I'm, don't even go to the conference. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I, I've skipped entire no, no, days. It's their annual. It's their. It's their annual trip. It's, it's their paid company for by their company, company vacation or business or city. I get that. I get that. And, and I knew that. I knew that was the answer for that part. But I do believe there's this new part. I really think that we're overlooking the fact that there is a new group. Why we? That's why we have podcasts. Well. So we have all these things, guys. So I mean, that's why we're meeting virtually right now to make this podcast. Okay, all right, fine. Um, so I'm not saying no. I th- I'm with you. They're going to these places. Grant, I do agree with you, but that's why I say. So if you would have looked at me a year ago before this hit, I did believe that because there were discussions already happening on, you know, what can shows do differently to attract a larger audience and do certain things along that line. And there were discussions beginning to happen. 
And that's where I think this virtual platform will live. It's not going to live on its own because I don't think there's enough meat to it to live on its own. I don't think there's enough personality for it to live on its own. What I do see it happening is, though, it'll augment the actual physical experience. That's a great idea. Yeah. So you participate. The ones that can't go participate anyhow. Right. So, if, you know, if you look at from a, not, not just from an exhibitor aspect, from an overall show aspect. So if you're called NBAA, which is, a, you know, the airline industry, executive jets and things on that line, that whole industry, you attach this onto it, onto your platform, and you give the clients the option of, you know, for a certain fee of having a, a virtual stand within there also. So guess what? If you can't get away or if you don't want to get away, you can still come down to the NBAA show online, spend a, spend a day walking around from stand to stand experience. And maybe you have someone within the space that, you, you know, depending on how it takes off, that you can schedule a meeting with. If you do a semi-live virtual type experience like we've done with Nissan, or you do it where it's just all online, but you have that as an augmented piece of the physical. Because you're, you're, people, will, I'm telling you right now, I'm hearing it from all kinds of people out there today. They're itching. They're itching to get on a plane. They're oh, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Itching. Well, here, here's another thing, too, is, is you go to the trade show in person. You, you know, get a complimentary bag at the door. You fill it full of samples and brochures. And then you take that back. And you try to explain to the people in the office what you saw. This, doing it virtually, augmented-wise, is a way of uh, showing everybody what you saw. Right. Consider 70% of the stuff in your bag you've left in your hotel room because it doesn't fit in the I'll, I'll take the other side of that. Okay. It's also tracking what you're doing. <laughs> but here's my thought. Here's my, like, I don't want to let everyone, I don't care, guys, because I'm an exhibitor, right? But for the guys who are coming down there, they don't want you to follow them around. Um, but let me ask you this. Okay, because we're talking smart city, guys. So can I tell you what I see, what I want to do? Well, this is the Smart Cities podcast, so. <laughs> I want to see a virtual person in the booth. You know, I saw something like that last <laughs> earlier this year at CES. I missed that. Why not? They, they had like full-size, oh, yeah. you know, person-size uh, LED screens. And, and you were interacting with a virtual person that was powered by Absolutely. some kind of AI. Guys, it's cool. And, and, and so nothing changes for the trade show. But now you get to deploy um, these virtual shows. And you can do two ways. You can do what you want. Of course, I've been bothering my staff already that I want to have, even if we're at the show, I don't want to bring any of our stuff. All I want them to do is wear uh, virtual uh, augmented reality glasses. And you could actually you could see have a, all the products. Fine. And you could have a smaller. But I'm still there. And have a smaller booth and pay less money per square foot. Right. But hang on a second. The augmented reality glasses, we've tried stuff. People don't want to wear that. Women walking in don't want to mess their hair. A lot of guys don't want to mess their hair. You'd be surprised at how many people don't aren't comfortable putting on the, the VR, the AR type glasses. Until you can have really simple glasses, you know, uh, that was, you know, maybe only ones with you know Google was coming out years ago. Um, with the Google Glass, we just slide over. A lot of people don't want to wear the headset type glass. No, no, that's what we're working on right now. We have the Google Not Glass. those giant here. Oculus things. Right. Oh, no, 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 no. That's gone, guys. Right, exactly. The new ones are all out. Yeah, you don't need those just for that. You do need it augmented real glasses if you're going to do movements and so on. But if you're just going to wear them and look at stuff, you don't need those. But I, it's funny. It, it is funny because we're pretty well the same age. I'm older than both of you guys. So that means, you know, 
you guys are 25 and I'm 30. <laughs> um, but, but I love the stuff. See, I'm with a group here that all love it. When I go see, okay, some of the biggest developers in the world that we deal with in Toronto, they love it. They ask me about virtual. They ask me about glasses. So it's funny the different aspects of everyone's um, attitude is and how diverse it is on technology. All right. Are there any other aspects of the smart city, the connected community that we should talk about going forward here? Well, I mean, um, everything we do is connected. So um, if I want to know what's going on somewhere and there's live applications saying this is on now, I can connect right away. I think that is the immediate of anything. I mean, Alan, I get 20 calls a day on my phone about podcasts. I get, by the way, guys, I do get trade shows. So, so, so I mean, so the connected, the connected environment is here. We're not changing that. Right. Well, don't we have to improve the infrastructure a lot more before we can really enjoy it? So I know I, I'm, I'm one who just switched from one major carrier to another major carrier because my whole house is wired. And it's useless to me unless I have proper, good Wi-Fi within my house. Oh, you know what? It's funny you should mention that because I'm going to buy later today a new uh, Internet 6 uh, Wi-Fi system. No, no, we had a show on this. We had a show on this right. on the future and we had news on it. Sure. I mean, you're dead on. But um, again, here's what we're doing, guys. We keep saying what if. We have to understand that there's no doubt in my mind, guys. Forget 5G. That'll be like passe in a year. We are going to be on faster speeder networks. I'm making assumptions here. I'm not talking about next year. I'm assuming that this is all going to be here. Now, maybe I'm just a class half full guy on every technology there is, but I'm assuming it's there and everyone's going to want to be connected. And I see the ability to say, hey, oh, I'm walking downtown. I'll throw on this, my phone, my headsets. I'm going to watch this show. Um, I can't make it. I'm going to watch this show, but I might not know about it to the day before. I can't plan my trip, but the whole thing's going to be technology linked in my viewpoint. Um, Elliot? I, I, I agree with you, but, but I have, you know, the concerns I have on that. And, and you know, you say 5G. It, one is the aspect of speed, but two is accessibility. Also. And the dollars that today they're charging for accessibility. You know, I have two kids. They don't believe in going on, uh, you know, going and log logging into our home Wi-Fi. They want unlimited data, and you know, unlimited data, and they don't want it where once you hit a certain level, your speed slows down or something along that line. Okay, yep, yep. And they want to be able to go downtown. So I, 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 I love the concept of smart city, but I think our government's got to get to the point where when you go downtown or you go anywhere in the city. It's just beamed out there. I mean, your signal. Yeah, but so your answer is not it won't happen. It says it'll happen if the infrastructure's in place in the future. Right. Okay. I, I'm good with that. I, I think that's what will happen. I, I, it, but I don't know. I think we're going down a path that we're not going to stop. So, And I think what's happened right now with the pandemic, if you want to take anything positive out of this shit, excuse my language, um, is it's pushed so much forward that might have come three or four years down the road. From, you know, downtown, almost every skyscraper is empty. People are working from home. All, all, the, all these aspects are pushing so much of the technology further ahead today than they probably would have been. So, yeah, I, it will come. Um, 
I think it's going to take a little bit longer. Like I said, I just changed. I, I just changed last week. It was, and I, you know, because, why? Because I needed stable Wi-Fi at home. Okay, Elliot. What are the most challenging trade shows to stage virtually? What kinds? The most challenging trade shows to stage. Um, what clients uh, have requirements that make it very difficult to transition to virtual? Oh, transition to virtual. I, I, um, Hmm, good one. That's a that is a good one. Touch and feel, Alan. Yeah, well, it would be the touch and feel stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the medical the medical is to a certain extent because there's so many legal parameters around the, the medical shows. I mean, when when you're operating a pharmaceutical stand at a trade show, before you see your client, you're seeing their lawyers walk around, and the first people to walk through the booth are the lawyers to make sure what in in the U.S. With the sun, I didn't know that. With the Sunshine Act, before before anyone gets to see the booth, the lawyers are walking around to make sure that everything is, you know, every word on there is proper because there's major lawsuits that come out of that. I, you just taught me something I didn't know. That is unbelievable, and that is a process that is I didn't even hear about till now. Yeah, it all follows with the Sunshine Act. That, that you know, you you watch the commercials in the U.S. Oh yeah, they're like the 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 ad is like one second, and all the right all yeah. the and, and, yeah. and, may, and may cause this 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 you know. No, but think of that. No, but he's right. But think of it. Uh, hold on, this is really good, Alan. So so they come around and scan everything, so you don't have to say that to every customer that walks into your booth. Right. They 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 roll. They look at all the wording with their business model. There for you, Grant. No, I don't want it. <laughs> but I I get it because if they didn't do that. You'd have to walk in that booth and me in the booth would have to tell them, oh, by the way, and read the disclaimer. Right. Um, oh, by the way, oh, by, it's a disaster. I think how they do it is great. They vent it out first. They vet everything. And then you just come to the trade show because they've approved everything in there is per whether it should be displayed with the proper uh, liability uh, uh, clauses and so on. And off you go. I, I, I get it. That would be very difficult to do in a, in a virtual show. Right. That's one aspect. The other part is um, clients who are making components for that fit within major components. Like clients who are making O-rings. They're, it's really not exciting, but they're necessary. Well, yeah, a bad O-ring blew up the Challenger. Right. Uh, so that's exactly it. So they're not exciting. They're not, they're, they're not sexy. And they got to go see they're, it. They're harder to draw your virtual audience to. But when you're at a live show, it's easier to do that. You know, there's this big convention center near the Hong Kong airport. And everybody in China, all the manufacturers in China, use that convention center to display their wares. And some of them are really, really boring. Like, for example, you know, little toys that you put inside gumball machines or uh, bra rings that you use to manufacture brassiers. Uh, That's really hard to make sexy that people would pay to go see. That's exactly it. So th- those are the most challenging. I mean, that's, if you've got a cool product, everyone's going to, there's all kinds of people are going to want to log into a virtual show and take a look at what you got. If you're launching a new phone or if you're launching a new vehicle or things along that line, but when your product's a little, not as sexy, I think that's where it becomes a little more of a challenge to get your audience out to virtual. And that's why I'm saying rather than looking at it as a virtual trade show, Virtual, look at it as a virtual selling opportunity where you may have an environment that's similar to a trade show, but you're targeting the more specific. You can do 
five in a week, we're inviting individual buyers from clients, your potential clients, to that event. You know, I just realized that we're talking about Apple presentations. Yeah. Everybody yeah. tunes in on that Tuesday to see whatever Apple has. Oh, no, and I think that's changed. I never did any guys until the pandemic. Okay. Doesn't mean I wouldn't go to trade shows. But but how about the other one, Elliot? I'm going to do a trade show if it attracts a lot of people. If I'm a little guy, I'm going to go to that trade show and take a booth. If the biggest guy's there drawing 10,000 people, mm -hmm. can't do that in a virtual show. Right. I mean, think of it, Alan. You go there just because the draw is good so you can meet a lot of people. And a virtual, that just can't happen. Right. So you don't have an anchor tenant to bring in all the no, people. I no. get it. No. By the way, an anchor tenant is actually outside of the show. Well, of course, it's Las Vegas, but I'm just saying within the show. Yeah. CES is a perfect example of that. I mean, you've got several several halls of major exhibits, but you pop into some of the back sections in there, and you've got an army of 10 by 10 little stands. You got it. That's what I meant. Well, there's That's that whole section of these, these manufacturers that do nothing more than manufacture uh, smartphone cases. Right. And there's booth after booth after booth after booth. Far right-hand corner when you're walking on the hall. <laughs> yeah. And they're, and they're living off the big manufacturers. It's no different in the industry where all the auto parts guys are around Ford or GM or Chrysler. So you can't change that. You know, when the Toronto Auto Show, so we were working with Dave McLean because um, when, when he was talking about trying to do a virtual auto uh, auto show uh, for this year, and we were working very closely with him on his platform and trying to see how it, he had a, a platform being done. We were going to dress it up for him. But he was looking at doing a lot of others. So he was going to have the manufacturers there. And then what, what he was going to have, he was going to do like a normal auto show where he was going to have you know, uh, an antique car section or a classic car section where you can tour through. He was going to have all these accessory pieces to it to make it feel more like an actual show. Which a lot of Yeah, but how do I find the guy, the guys that are all standing in the Ford booth? I'm the guy in the corner. I want to get over there. You can't do that here right. in, the, in a virtual show. Well, it's, it's all very interesting. I mean, let's hope that in 18 months, we won't be talking about having to go to virtual trade shows exclusively and we can get back to expensing everything to companies for, for our annual I trips think, someplace. I think that this show is going to start a debate. I think it will. Um, <laughs> I really think it I will. I can't wait to hear who believes what's going to happen. You hear it from one of the biggest guys in the industry. I love to hear what the debate will be. You know, the way I'm looking at it right now, if, you know, I believe that we will start start to see a pulse in our industry, a pulse, come June, July. I mean, Yay! <laughs> I, I got an email today that the licensing show has now scheduled their show dates for August 11th and 12th in Vegas. Their virtual show is 24th, 25th, but their actual live show is 11th, 12th in Vegas. So they're actually having oh. two shows, a virtual and a live, which I guess... Will Do you think they'll keep them both? I think they'll keep them both if, uh, if the... Uh, if they don't, you know, if everything works out for COVID? I think what will happen is year one, they may keep both. And I think they'll use their virtual content, their physical content from the 11th, 12th, if it goes, to, they have to put on their platform for the 24th, 25th. But I think going forward after that for next year, it'll be a combined physical show with the augmented piece, like I've said beforehand, attached onto that physical show. So you can enjoy, enjoy it live as it's happening, which is two weeks later.
or long after it's over. And ongoing. Exactly. Exactly. See, there's a change. Guys, we just talked about a change. There we go. Change is smart city. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Elliot. Really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, let's hope that we can get back to our, our trade show sometime soon. I look forward to it. Thank you. Take care, guys. And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Elliot Cohen from Cubic. We're busy working on new programs that will bring us insight from more smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. If you have any feedback or questions for us, send it to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Note that extension, feedback at thesmartcity.blog. You can also check our website, thesmartcity.blog, for past programs, as well as who and what else is coming up in the future. The Smart City Podcasts, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.